God's grace, peace, and love be with each of you this day. Before I begin a moment, uh, I'm Pastor Tom Marock, live up in the uh, Parker, South Aurora area. Used to live in Colorado Springs and pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. So a couple of you have come up and said hi to me. And uh, at the same time, uh, Susan, my wife, uh, yes, maybe you knew me back in Colorado Springs when Chris was my wife. The Lord called her home some years ago, and God has blessed me so very, very dearly uh, with Susan, my wife. So that's a little about me. Um, good to be with you this day and to share with you from the book of James. We're in James chapter 4 today, verses 13 to 17. I want to read them. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. People make plans. We all make plans. Right now you probably have some plans for the rest of the day or, or a to-do list for the week. We make plans. Even little children have it in their mind. If they can nag mom and dad, they'll make it to the park. That's their plan. They've got a plan. That 15-year-old uh, works out and trains a bit because he has a plan to make the soccer team. Then there's the plan to graduate from high school and maybe planning for what college to attend. We, after that, plan, and usually it doesn't happen according to plan because love smacks us in the face. We plan to find that husband or that wife. And then there's marriage. Then we plan on buying the dream home or, or taking that once-in-a-lifetime vacation. Uh, we plan on the children that we have. Then we plan on when they'll leave the nest and move on. That's part of life, right? Uh, as we age, we plan on retirement, and then we plan to somehow maintain our health and plan to do a little emptying of the bucket list along the way. Human beings make plans. It's how we are by nature. I guess a few of us may just kind of skid along from day to day, but that's somewhat the norm. At the same time, there's this tension between planning our way and planning God's way. And that's what our text is all about. Our text begins with these words. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will do such and such and go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Plan A, right? Plan sounds pretty good. But somewhere along the line, in the midst of the planning, God gets omitted. And that becomes the issue that we want to talk about today. As a congregation, you're making your way through the book of James, and probably six, seven weeks into doing that, I don't know what these other four pastors are going to be preaching about in the next four or five weeks. I'm the only one who's really a senior pastor. Notice the gray hair. Uh, but anyway, I hope you do find that good senior pastor along the way. Um, but for today, 
uh, hear from the book of James a lot of rules and do's and don'ts about how the Christian life is to be formed up, but then prepare yourself by the end of October to really celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation of the Church and Dr. Martin Luther and uh, the gospel of God's grace and forgiving love recaptured and re-energized 500 years ago. For now, the book of James, which seems to be a lot of kind of do's and don'ts and how to live the life God calls us to live without any allusions to any specific life situations. You know, when you read uh, Romans or First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, you can kind of read Paul's letters and read between the lines, and you know that there are a variety of issues uh, that those churches are dealing with. Uh, people kind of going off in one direction and uh, forgetting about the, their brother who has needs. Somewhere uh, people uh, so puffed up in their own Christian arrogance that they don't care about other people. In the book of James, we don't hear much about that, specific life situations. Except today in our text, it seems to take us into one. And that is people who uh, are dealing with acquiring some wealth, but also about doing so with some boasting and some arrogance as though they have no need for God. And that's why we hear those words about going to a town and spending a year there and making a profit and then heading back home. There's nothing wrong with doing those things. Hope we have plans for making a profit and uh, having some wealth in life. Might do that as a teenager with a job that we get or, or as we look at the career track that we're on. That's part of what life is all about. Some of us are realtors, some ranchers, some employees, some employers, some make a living uh, pounding nails with a hammer and others hammer away at a keyboard to make ideas come up on the screen. That's who we are as people. But the danger is to do that to the exclusion of God being a part of the whole game that's going on that somehow God and his will and his wishes for our life get pushed to the background. And James warns about that and says, danger number one is because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. We're like the, a, a little mist in the morning. The sun just blazes it away and we're gone. We're not here forever. We don't know how long we'll be here forever. 16 years ago, people woke up and didn't think about whether their life would come to an end in 24 hours or not. But it did, because 16 years ago tomorrow was 9-1-1. George Bernard Shaw wrote these words. The statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one people die. Not four out of five, not 98 out of 100, one out of one, right? That's not to be morbid, but it's to say in making our plans, if God wills. It's not so bad. We all know our life isn't as nailed down as we'd like it to be, that our plans don't always come to fruition. Why else do we buy insurance? We buy life insurance, health insurance, homeowners insurance, auto insurance, travel insurance, boat insurance, pet insurance, long-term care insurance. We make sure our money is FDIC insured, and then we buy all of those warranties and extended warranties. And I'm sure I omitted a few 
different insurance policies that you could buy. Maybe an umbrella in insurance policy because all the other insurance policies might not carry, cover something along the way. Why? Because somewhere along the line we do realize nothing beyond the present moment where God meets us now is nailed down and for sure. James writes, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And then it's interesting that James goes on to say after that, by the way, I want to remind you, not only are we kind of wispy people, but we get so puffed up in our pride and our arrogance in spite of that reality. We do. James writes, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. You'd think, knowing our own mortality, we'd be a little more humble. But something in human nature says no. And that word for arrogance, the original word in the group, in the Greek, um, was applied to wandering hucksters, peddlers, who somehow would peddle their elixirs uh, or their potions or, or their great feats as they went from town to town in the, the Roman Empire, from city to city, uh, and that arrogance became the word applied to them. But by the time James writes, it's applied to anybody who somehow sees that they, in their mind, have all the answers, that they're the highest power, that there is no higher power for their life. That attitude happens to big-name people, but can happen to any of us along the line. And I think of two big-name people. The first, remember out of the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, a man by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon? In Daniel chapter 4, we're told that he's on the rooftop of the royal palace, probably speaking to himself, and he says, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence, by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty. But then Daniel 4 goes on to say, while the word was in the king's mouth, the voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you. You will be driven away from mankind. Your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and he bestows on it on whomever he wishes. God humbles the proud. Or I think of another name out of history, Napoleon Bonaparte, military genius, but his arrogance and his pride were what led to his downfall. He was ready to do an invasion of Russia. And yet a friend of him said, you gotta think about that. I think you need to pull back. Uh, I think right now at least it's not doable. But he wouldn't budge in his resolve. And that's when his friend shared with him a, a familiar proverb. Man proposes, God disposes. God brings things to fruition. To which Napoleon angrily snapped back, I dispose as well as I propose. And in his arrogance, as one historian noted, that moment seemed to be the beginning of the downfall of Napoleon, the great conqueror. 
that invasion that he couldn't let go of in his pride. Pride comes before the fall, or as James says earlier in the fourth chapter, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You see, God's way is grace, and his glory is found in compassion and in gentleness and in forgiveness and in goodness. That's the grace that you and I know in his son, Jesus Christ. That grace that said his life was not lived for pride and for arrogance, but it was lived knowing that his life was in the Father's hand, that even in his humble birth coming among us, he showed forth the glory of his heavenly Father. And then it is that Jesus grew up in that little backwater town called Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth, people asked. And along the line, it was Jesus who called those who followed him, those disciples, as he called blue-collar fishermen to his side and a, a, a renegade tax collector by the name of Matthew and, and other such people that the world might pass over. He spent his ministry caring for the lost and the hurting, for the, the leper and the other outcasts. He spent his time going to that lonely Zacchaeus' house and, and embracing him as friend. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve in humility and loneliness, lowliness. And that's why it was that even on the night he was betrayed, he was busy getting a towel and a, a, a basin of water and, and washing the feet of his disciples. Why it was only natural for him the next day to take up a cross and, and go to Calvary for you and for me so that by his dying and then by his rising, he might give us life, life that is redemptive, life that brings life to us out of our death. That's why with his life we're able to say, and these are words from James, with Christ's life in us and we in him we're able to say, if the Lord wishes we will do this or we will do that. You get that? With Christ in us, his life in us, and our life in him, then we're able to say, if the Lord wishes, we'll do this or we'll do that. And we find that the shaping of our plans for today or tomorrow or for the rest of our life are sought within the will and the ways of God as he would live out that life that says we live not simply for self or for making the profit, but for doing good that benefits others. Let me give you a couple of life examples. First example is Uncle Gus. Uncle Gus was not my uncle, but Susan's uncle. Lived in Conyers, Georgia. Uncle Gus was what I'd call a crusty Christian. He uh, sometimes had turmoil in his family life. It wasn't always smooth. It had its ups and downs. He fought his demons, especially his alcoholism. And yet Uncle Gus, man of faith, was an entrepreneur. He knew how to make money. He knew how to start a business and, and, and turn a profit. A, a quote from him. There are plenty of opportunities out there to make a lot of money, but it helps to do it while helping a lot of other people. While helping a lot of other people. That seems to be what's omitting, omitted from the beginning of our text where the, they talk about going away for a, a year and, and simply making a profit. 
Uncle Gus says, I, I know how to make a profit, but I, at the same time, can do it in a way that helps people. It was back in the early 1960s that on a handshake, he told a guy that he'd make a bakery for him and that he'd make some hamburger buns for the guy and he'd provide them. Don't worry about that. Uncle Gus did it. Yeah, he would make a profit out of that bakery, but he'd also provide a lot of good jobs for his fellow townspeople in Conyers, Georgia. And he did just that. The, hap the handshake happened to be with Ray Kroc. And the hamburger buns were for an upstart company called McDonald's. And so he provided hamburger buns for the southeast part of the United States. Your plans may not be that big, okay? But they can be that caring. Not just simply thinking about yourself and living a selfish life, but how can my plans be used by God to be a blessing to others through the caring or the compassion or the way in which I go about my daily work as a student or as a, an adult, uh, a retiree or an employer or an employee as you live out your days. And then I think of a, another person. This one out of the world of fiction. Leo Tolstoy wrote a little short story. He write, wrote some long Russian novels and things like that, but a short story, Where Love Is, There God Is. Tolstoy in the short story tells the story of Martin the Cobbler. Martin the Cobbler lived in a little village in Russia, had a wife and some children, but life didn't go well for him. He was a, a great cobbler. He would make shoes for people or he'd recobble them uh, two, three, four times because part of the leather would wear out and he'd fix and repair those shoes. We don't do much of that today, I don't think. We just get a new pair. But anyway, as time went on, Martin lost three of his four children to death. A disease with one, uh, uh, a lung infection with another. And then he also lost his wife in death. And yet he continued his life, his existence, with his one little boy, his son, caring for him and, and doing his work as a cobbler. And then a raging fever took his last child's life. And in those moments, he denied God. He said, why could God do anything like that? How does that work out as God's plan in this terrible world? It was in the midst of his despair that a, an old friend whom he hadn't seen in seven years came from Trinity Monastery to visit him. And Martin, the cobbler, told his friend about uh, the disasters that had befallen his life and how he had denied God and cursed him and walked away from him. And that's when the old friend Martin said, Martin, nevertheless, you should live your life for God and not deny him because God is the ultimate deciding factor. And we humans may question how our lives go and, and what happens in our lives, but ultimately God is God. And then that friend encouraged him to get a, a testament a, and, and to begin to read the Bible at least a little bit. The friend left and, and Martin thought, well, I can at least do that. And then he went out and got a, a large print New Testament and he made a promise that on, on holy days he would read from his Bible. And he did that. And as time went on, he began in the evening hours to light his lamp and every day to do a little reading from his Bible. 
and it brought him uh, joy and, and peace along the way. And then it was that one night, Martin in his reading read about Jesus being invited into the fo- home of a, a Pharisee, and there in that home of the Pharisee, as Jesus is eating and drinking, a woman comes in and with oil, and then with her tears anoints Jesus' feet and, and dries them with her hair. And that Pharisee gets all angry at the woman and says, this isn't right. And in that moment, Martin realizes, that's me. Because I'm still living my life simply for myself, arrogant and proud. A little later on, Martin fell asleep. And in his dream, the Christ came to him. And the Christ came to him and said, Martin, Martin, I'm coming to visit you. I'll come visit you tomorrow. Martin woke up the next morning, and he didn't know whether he he had hallucinated or Christ really had spoken to him or, or whether it was all just a fantasy and a dream. And so he went to his little cobbling bench where he had a little window out toward the street. He could just see the shoes of people walking by. couldn't see the whole person. But he knew pretty well who everybody was because he had cobbled their shoes. He knew that was the soldier. He knew that was the, the maid who worked at uh, the aristocrat's home and so forth. And he looked and he wondered, will the Christ come to visit me today, even though he was quite skeptical of that happening. As he looked out his window and cobbled, he saw Stepanovich out there, a very old, old man, hardly able to to get around anymore, but he was out shoveling snow, shoveling snow for a couple of the people on the block because that's the way he could make a couple of coins. And Martin felt sorry for him and invited him into his home and poured him a a glass of hot tea, and and then a a second glass of hot tea. And and then Martin told him how it was that the Christ had said, I will come to you today. Stefanovich said to him, Martin, I hope that happens. I I truly do, and I I give you my blessing, and and thank you for food, both for my body and, and food for my soul. And then he went back out to shovel some more snow. As he cobbled that day, Martin then saw a woman walking by. Uh, very cold day, but she didn't have much on. And she had a, a baby in her arms who, who seemed also to be almost blue with cold. And he invited them in and gave them the warmth of the hearth, the fire. And uh, then he looked in his uh, trunk and found his wife's shawl, gave that to the lady and found some clothes that his children had worn and gave that to her for the baby and gave her a little bit of money also and some food. Told her about that parable of the Pharisee and how he was convicted and and how it was he had heard this voice, he didn't know if it was true or in a dream, but it was Christ saying, I'm coming to you today. She gave him a blessing and the sign of the cross and then she departed thanking him so very much. Later on in the day, he saw a woman with a basket with some of her groceries and a a boy grabbing and stealing some, and he went out and brought the boy back to the woman who gave the food back to the lady, and he apologized, and she forgave him, and Martin embraced them both with his compassion and love. As the day came to an end, 
Martin was filled with gloom. Christ hadn't come, hadn't come to him that day. But then it was that first Stepanovich said, I came to you, kind of as a vision in the evening. And then he saw the woman and the baby and she said, in him, in her, I came to you also. And then the woman with the basket and the little boy in a voice, I came to you. His Bible fell open, not to where he had been reading about the Pharisee, but rather to Matthew chapter 25. And there it was that he read the words, the words of Jesus. Inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And his eyes were opened, and he realized the Christ had come to him that day. He hadn't noticed him at first, but in his caring and his love, he thanked God he had embraced him. Jesus the Christ had come to him and filled his day. I share that with you because as you make your plans for today or this afternoon or this week or for the coming years, have eyes of faith open to see how Christ comes to you with grace and love that comes to you with grace and love that you extend to others. Yeah, we can live and make our plans. We do it under God, with God in us and God coming to us. And so God strengthens us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.